0: I'm Mark Gagan and you're listening to the Voice of Insurance podcast, produced in association with AdvantageGo. Release your underwriters to underwrite with AdvantageGo's underwriting platform. Today's guest is one of the original poster children of the InsureTech movement and has been applying technology to solve insurance problems since long before the phrase InsureTech was coined. Back when the first InsureTech conferences were getting started, he was a highly sought after speaker. If you listen today, you'll soon understand why. Chris Cheatham founded Risk Genius in 2012, and in 2020 that business was absorbed by fellow InsurTech and online exchange, Bold Penguin. Very soon afterwards, the enlarged Bold Penguin became part of the American Family Insurance Group. Chris's story is one of entrepreneurship, and a path into InsurTech maturity. Unlike many in the first wave, and many of the speakers at those early conferences, neither Risk Genius nor Bold Penguin made any claim to be insurance disruptors intent on revolution and disintermediation. Instead, these businesses were industry partners looking to remove friction and pain points, largely for existing insurance entities. As the tech funding climate cools, it's their model that is the one gaining traction and adoption from some of the most traditional elements in the insurance value chain. Today's discussion is really valuable because it mirrors the growing maturity of the insure tech scene and shines lots of light on where things are heading in the short, medium and long term. Chris has been on a remarkable journey, and from this encounter, I feel he's just getting started. No matter where you are sitting in the insurance value chain, I think the next half hour will be a very valuable investment of your time. Enjoy the podcast. This episode is supported by Oxbow Partners. Oxbow Partners is a management consulting business specializing in the London, Bermuda, and European insurance and reinsurance markets. In fact, In 2021 and 2022, they were named one of the top 10 consultancies in the sector by the Financial Times. It's fascinating speaking to the team about the kinds of topics they're supporting. Helping reinsurers take a strategic view of their operating models. Designing smart follow syndicates in the Lloyds market. And developing ESG responses. The company's strapline talks about giving executives a fresh perspective. So if you're keen to understand the challenges and opportunities coming down the track for your business, I'd recommend giving the team at Oxbow Partners a call. Hey, Chris, welcome to The Voice of Insurance. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, you've been one of the stars of InsurTech since probably just before the word InsurTech was invented or before it was coined around. It was around 2015, 2016. It was around the time, certainly when I, as a journalist, was starting to pick up on this and think, wow. We need to do something about this. When mm-hmm. we started doing conferences and sort of following the different companies, you were running Risk Genius, and you were one of the higher-profile people actually in that movement. Now you're at Bull Penguin. Tell us a bit about that journey that you've been on.
1: Yeah, so I used to be a surety bond attorney, which is like a little small part of the insurance world. Actually, the first thing we started was in 2011, and it was called Claim Kit, and we were doing surety
0: claim document collections, essentially really boring. I won't go into that. Well, it's a good class of business, though. It might be boring, but it's been a great class of business for those who've been in it. Very
1: profitable, right? Very, very profitable. Yep. Totally different than insurance, really. <laughs> and so from there, you know, we built document management software, and that started getting used by large carriers. And so one of those carriers said, hey, we like this document management software. Could we use this to review insurance policies? And so I had a bad habit back at the time, of just saying, sure, and then trying to figure it out. And so I said, sure, without realizing that I just launched an entirely new product, an entirely new company at the time. And so that became Risk Genius. And so we ended up using artificial intelligence to break down insurance policies and help people analyze them much faster. And so, yeah, started that about 2015. I was just reflecting a little bit on what you were saying about the first tech movement, right? And I was a little bit of a different voice, I think, because I was talking a lot about the back office and back office solutions whereas everything else seemed to be kind of distribution and lead gen, essentially an insure tech wave 1.0. And so that's probably why I was able to cut through the noise a little bit, Just kind of an interesting thing I hadn't thought about before.
0: Well, we had great taste and we looked at the substance of what you were saying, Chris, and then we really wanted to get you on the show. So tell us about that move to Bold Penguin and then tell us all about Bold Penguin. It's one of those names that's a very memorable and striking name. So once you've seen it, you can't forget it. But tell us all about it, because I think a lot of people would have seen the name, but they won't know exactly what it does. Yeah, absolutely. So I think dates are starting to get foggy, but like around
1: 2020, started talking with Bold Penguin. And I think what we realized pretty quickly is that Bold Penguin is a small business insurance platform. And it empowers the agents and the carriers to get insurance to a small business faster and more cost-effectively. And Risk Genius at the time, it was like a tool to make it easier to be in the back office of an insurance carrier and analyze insurance policies. So there's like a common thread there, which is empowering insurance people, not cutting them out, right? You'd hear a lot about disruption and getting rid of the agent. That was not Bold Penguin. That was not Risk Genius. And so that's why these fit together very nicely. Bold Penguin was also launching a data science team. And so they wanted to bring our team over, bring our software over in order to kind of jumpstart those efforts. And so that's worked out really well. So Bold Penguin acquired Risk Genius. And then shortly after that, Bold Penguin was acquired by American Family Insurance. Yeah. So we're just chugging along, launching new products. We have new storefront product this year where essentially anyone can launch their own quote and bind front-end platform. And then Risk Genius was renamed ClauseLink. And so that's still being used by carriers that need to analyze an entire portfolio of clauses. There's SubmissionLink, which is you know extracting data from submission documents. So we're chugging along, doing our thing. What sort of
0: size and scale is BullPenguin Penguin at now?
1: So over 200 employees. It's always somewhere between 200 and 300. I don't even try to keep track of the exact number. And then we've done over 4.5 million quotes for small businesses at this point, which is a lot. And so, yeah, that's kind of what we think about.
0: Is there any kind of idea of what sort of volume of premium is being bound through the platform? I don't know that actually off the top of my head. I apologize. No, it's okay. You mentioned about American Family. Has that changed in any way the way that you're operating? Obviously, being seen as being owned by a carrier can sometimes change people's perception of you.
1: It. Allowed us, frankly, I think, to double down on what we were already working on, which was making small business insurance easier and faster. as you know, and I know, kind of insure tech hit a bit of a swoon around may twenty twenty two like kind of the middle part of this year. yeah, and so we haven't had to be chasing funders and do fundraising events because you know we're out of the mix on that. So I think that's actually our timing is great the focus is still exactly the same. Small business insurance,
0: making it easier for agents. People don't now think of you as an incumbent rather than insure tech.
1: I actually think of us as an incumbent and not an insure tech. Especially, I don't think of us as a startup, right? Insure tech, I think, can be the big players and the small players. But at this point, I do think of us as an incumbent. We've hit scale, we're growing, but we're not out trying to IPO or raise funds. So that's kind of the big difference.
0: And what's the revenue model of of Penguin? Is it more like a licensing the platform software or is it more like a broker? Do you take a percentage of the premium or something?
1: I mean, we're like software as a service, right? So agents license the software in order to get quotes from the carriers. There's also additional subscriptions that they can sign up for. So if an agent, for example, doesn't have appointments with carriers, we actually will provide them with a sub appointment so that they can access carriers and get quotes. And so that's actually really beneficial to the smaller agencies, I think, that are out there that have commercial businesses that have businesses that need quotes, but not as frequently. Um, They're able to take advantage of that.
0: So you have to sign some big kind of terms of business arrangement with one of these big carriers that they haven't been dealing with, and you can take away all that problem for them. How many carriers have you got signed up?
1: The other day, somebody told me we have 40 plus at this point.
0: So the number
1: previously, it was like 20 plus, I think, when I joined. So we have a lot of carriers at this point. At this point, we're now trying to fill in the gaps of products that we can use to fill in. So, you know, one of my messages to carriers that haven't signed up for something like Bold Penguin or something similar is you better build out those APIs. Like right now, mm-hmm. it's not a question out if this is working, it's definitely working. At this point, it's just catch up. If you're a carrier that's not connected to these platforms, like how quickly could you catch up? Because it is definitely working.
0: And the proposition for them, I mean, the, presuming they're licensing the platform as well, they have to pay, Presume, yeah?
1: Yeah, they pay, yeah. they So they get to distribute their products then to whoever they want. They can pick the types of agencies, they appoint those agencies. So it's just broader reach, right? It's like getting access to quoting on the internet as opposed to quoting in a manual process.
0: And... What about other potential revenue streams? Obviously, if you've got millions of quotes coming in and out and going through the platform, are you able to capture some of that data? Do you have any plans to aggregate it and monetize it, for example?
1: Yeah, that's our submission link product, and then that's also then our attempts to bring in data science into the quoting engine that is being used by agents. So what I mean by that, submission link is a product that takes in submission documents that a carrier receives and then extracts out the key underwriting information and then puts that into the underwriters platform, wherever that is, whatever that is, via APIs. On the other side is the quoting engine that traditional Main Street agents are using or larger agencies are using. So the dream where we're moving towards is typing in a business name and that populates with all the information you need about that business in order to get the quote. Not completely there yet, but we're moving towards that. Right. And how many agents have you got signed up? Oh my gosh, uh, thousands. It changes every day. So we're actually in a big growth curve this year, adding thousands and thousands of agencies, actually.
0: When I was reading up on your website, I was looking at the exchange and that seems like an interesting product. So that's sort of an additional revenue stream. Yep. So you've got an agent who's got a lot of quotes and not taken up or things that they can't do. They can put them into the exchange and see if other members can do something with them or want to buy them. That's exactly off them or-
1: right. It's not just agents pushing. So the exchange is where essentially we match small businesses that want to get a quote with an agent that can help them do that, right. right? So then the question is, where do those small businesses come from? And you know, you have agents that maybe don't have an appetite for that particular type of small business. You have carriers maybe that have small businesses that they don't fit their appetite, or you have like your non-insurance parties, like LegalZoom is a great example, right? Somebody who does something ancillary with businesses and they wanna then provide some sort of commercial insurance experience for that customer. So then they push those business prospects into the exchange. We match them in real time, like on the phone with an agent, right? So they're not just cold leads coming in via email, which typically have a very bad conversion rate. So we're actually saying, hey, come talk to this agent. We hand them off on the phone and then the quoting
0: starts instantly. Wow. And so that must be working quite well, one presumes. It's sort of like an afterburner, isn't it? It's using what you've already got into the platform, anything you've generated into the platform and making sure it doesn't go to waste, like burning off the excess gases from the exhaust.
1: To be honest with you, there's a lot of room still to grow with people that have small businesses that they're not servicing. Kind of reminds me of this conversation I had at Introtech Connect around an agency and a carrier. And like I learned that the carrier has a lot of small business leads that don't fit their appetite. And those leads essentially go into a trash bin, like a digital trash bin. Yep. And so there's a lot of waste like that, that I frankly think we can clean up in the industry still.
0: These people are all going to buy insurance somewhere in the end. So you, you might as well keep rummaging around and keep trying to offer them something that does work. Yeah. What's that say? One
1: man's trash is another man's treasure,
0: right? Absolutely. There's an old North of England saying, which is uh, where there's mook, there's brass and brass meaning money in that sense. Yep so also reading up some of your latest announcements, there's a business called Pathpoint doing something similar in the excess and surplus line space, which obviously you're more in the admitted vanilla lines of business, high volume, low, some insured business. What sort of relationship are you looking to get out with them? It seems quite interesting that you're moving into ENS. Is that part of the plan? Absolutely, it is. So if you think about
1: most of the products, I think all the products other than Pathpoint that we have on the the platform, Cyber maybe is an exception, PathPoint's definitely an exception. So most of the products are admitted. So like underwriting parameters are set up, appetite guide set up, it's very clear what people want, they can then quote a price programmatically. But the problem is like that covers maybe 60% of the market, like what happens to the other small businesses that aren't covered by the admitted products, right? And so I constantly say like in order for digital quote and buying to get magical, like 10 times better than what we were previously doing, you need to be able to go all the way through, whether it's an admitted product or a non-admitted product. And so, PathPoint is one of the first forays of BullPenguin into going after the ENS products, which is a totally different problem, frankly, because like underwriters typically touch every account yep. going through ENS. And so, how do you streamline that whole process? So it requires an entirely different thing. And you know, the partnership's going well. There's a lot of quotes
0: and binds coming through the when we pass things off to PathPoint. So that's pretty exciting. And could you be adding more specialty classes and obviously, once you get into the excess and surplus science, it can become international quite quickly as well, Mm -hmm. you know, with a business like Lloyd's probably being the biggest collective player in excess and surplus science. So how far do you think it could go, your involvement in that value chain? Could it go all the way up to reinsurance, for example, or to international exchanges like Lloyd's, for example?
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot to unpack there. So... First of all, we're constantly adding more specialty products, right? Like Neptune, we just announced recently, which does flooding insurance down in Florida. Yeah. So that's one example. And I think you're going to see more and more of those types of kind of MGAs or carrier businesses that have a better way of looking at risk for a particular niche. And so I think we will continue to add those types of products. Cyber is another good example. I'm doing yeah. a webinar later with Cowbell. Yeah. Cowbell is a big cyber provider. Yeah, so absolutely. those pockets will continue to be filled in in the Bold Penguin platform. Going international in terms of like covering international businesses, unless something changes, I don't think that's in the foreseeable future for Bold Penguin. We're really focused on US. And frankly, the regulatory scheme in the United States makes Software applications completely different here than they are in London. I still remember that from trying to apply risk genius to the Lloyds of London use cases. Yep. Those handwriting documents. That was the craziest thing I ever saw. Yeah. So, not international, but I think that it doesn't seem to matter now where capital is from that supports insurance. So, like whether it's Lloyds or some other, you know, there's ILSs, whoever's supporting those MGAs or whatever products there are, I don't think it matters a whole lot as long as it's targeting like US business
0: pockets. To summarize that, we should look upon you as being very close to the customer, close to that original insurance agent, and you're really filling in everything that that insurance agent might need. And that would include, of course, all the standard products. And of course, these non-standard products that, you know, you might have a client that owns a strip mall and that's fine. That's all very vanilla. But of course, they may also own a helicopter. And then of course, suddenly that's suddenly, but you want to be able to cover all of these things, even, you know, like aviation, the whole thing, you know, trucking, whatever, all the stuff that's difficult.
1: Or like a metaverse, right? If they own a metaverse, how are we going to cover that? So <laughs> well, yeah, that's I had to get the tricky. word metaverse into a discussion.
0: Right? Well, yeah, well, obviously that's just made your valuation go up another 10 points just by saying it. So well, that's good for us to hear where you're playing. A lot of the MGAs that are in the middle of risk in this harder market we're seeing, they're actually going in and sourcing some of their own capital. And so I'd like to ask you whether it would ever be in your plan to source some of your own capital and become a risk bearer, or would you always stay pure and want to be that intermediary, that platform?
1: My understanding, and for the foreseeable future, I think we're just staying pure as a software platform, right? We work with carriers, just like we work with agents, just like we work with small businesses, but we're not looking to replace any of them.
0: So I think that that would not be something we'd go take up anytime soon. And I think we've sort of touched on this when we talk about underwriting engines. All the way through the value chain, I'm seeing algorithmic underwriting. It's gaining in a lot of sophistication and a lot of acceptance. Even a syndicate at Lloyd's, for example, that is using algorithmic underwriting to follow terms. As that clever part of the intermediary, connecting all those agents and all those risk carriers, is it something you could help see yourself as being another tool to help develop? It sort of sounds like you already started to think about this. Yeah, you know, we have this
1: feature actually that we rolled out the end of last year that was one of the more impressive quoting innovations, I guess. The platform is launched here at Bold Penguin, which is real-time eligibility. So it sounds so obvious because we're used to it with Amazon and other consumer-facing products. But, you know, now in the Bold Penguin terminal, you type in roofer that does manufacturing solar installations into the business classification, right? And while I'm typing, like I typed in roofing, and it shows me the carriers that would cover that. And then I typed in roofer for manufacturing, and then that panel of carriers updates in real time. And then you add solar panels and it updates even further. So, that information that we're showing the agent is also necessary in order to do algorithmic trading because you need to be able to see in real time who is willing to underwrite which quote. And so, whether it's something we're giving to the agents or eventually, honestly, there's no reason why you won't have algorithmic trading of risks. Soon, not soon like tomorrow, but soon in the next five years. You talked about capital coming into MGAs. Why can't the capital say, okay, we'll underwrite you for these number of days, but we can turn it on and off as we want to? Right. So then that capital gets turned off and that MGA is no longer available in the carrier panel, just kind of envisioning the future a little bit. Yep. Why not? Right. I think all that stuff's coming.
0: Well, they could take one part of the roofing risk and lay off the solar panel part, for example. Yep. Again, which is almost like reinsurance. I was chairing Pat Ryan. It was probably about four years ago. And obviously, he's, he's one of the visionaries of our industry. Mm-hmm. He could envisage a place where that broker, that agent could have a commercial package policy that has the usual different coverages, workers' comp, the property, you know, your vehicles and transport and that kind of stuff and the stock and et cetera, et cetera, and products liability, all the usual things that might be in a commercial package, but they could actually split them because of the lack of friction that the technology would give you. Yeah, 100%. Something like your technology, for example, you uh-huh. could then turn it into a multifaceted placement that had different carriers covering different facets of that risk. And of course, the agent just presents it all to the client and say, here's the 12 coverages you need, but I've managed to get it much deeper. I've got better coverage here and I've got cheaper coverage there. And here's my package. And, and again, the client doesn't even have to know that it's been placed with 12 different carriers, even though they would assume, you know, back in the old days, it would just be AIG and that was it.
1: Yeah, there's this thing I keep thinking about, too, which is the work we were doing at Risk Genius, not just Risk Genius, but work like it is important here in the United States in particular, but even in Lloyds of London, where you have these policies that are written out as big, long documents. So you're going to have to like break those coverages apart. And then what do you do with the exclusions? How do those attach? Policy admin systems are going to have to be totally reconfigured to do what you're talking about. We used to talk about Lego blocks, how an insurance policy needs to be like Lego blocks. And we're not quite there yet. And there's people working on stuff like that. But that's gonna be super cool. At least like for nerdy insurance people when that stuff is already.
0: As we speak, the London market, it's such a big market and everything is syndicated, and or nearly everything is syndicated. Mm-hmm. Finally it's trying to go the extra mile and finally digitize everything on the back end. It's coming up against this problem. So they're having to create an intelligent market reform contract which aspires to become a whole lot of digital blocks that you can then move around it's it's a very interesting thing it is the ultimate problem of you can't be a digital first world until you've done that and of course i think i'm talking to the exact right person about this what do you you think about that would you agree with that chris
1: i do i you know i always thought the lloyds of london was such an interesting place i was there like i got to visit once and taken on the floor and all that and like i still remember the story that someone told me about one of the innovation projects that they had started there and this is between sometime between 2010 and 2016 right but they had introduced iPads at Lloyds of London and they they wanted everyone to use the iPads to look at the policy documents and negotiate the terms and everything, which frankly, back then, I don't think the handwriting tools that were available on an iPad were good enough to be doing that. But like, I still remember the story that because the brokers would take the iPad and they hated the fact that they had to be using these iPads. So they would go and put them on a copier and print out the policy from the iPad. (laughs) And I thought that was like the best story ever. You know, you can get mad at the people that are doing that, but you can also realize the tech wasn't there, right? There's a reason why they're printing out paper. If it's better to be doing it digitally, they'll probably do it digitally. The tools just weren't there
0: yet. Yeah. If you're in a market where you fight over every comma of every clause of a bespoke contract, then you need to have your pen handy to to change it. You can't just be a numbered clause. Yeah. It won't work that way.
1: I will give a plug real quick for an amazing tool called a remarkable. If you've ever seen these tablets... They are incredible for handwriting. And so you can load up a PDF and write on it as if it's paper in a digital format. Highly recommend them if somebody's oh, well, sounds, ever sounds like that. Sounds like one
0: for the uh, yeah, for Blueprint team at Lloyd's. Right. You already mentioned this a bit earlier. You alluded to it earlier. Obviously, we've been through a very exuberant phase, and it probably peaked two years ago, of mm-hmm. And I suppose it was when the big four IPOs were coming. It was that particular summer couple of years ago, and there were some pretty crazy valuations. It seems that everything's all come down now. Everything's come in. And in fact, let's say all tech investment has also come in at the same time. They're all down. And I suppose we're in a risk-off kind of mode rather than a Mm risk-on kind of mode in general in terms of investment markets. So it's a much more sober funding environment. Does this affect your strategy? You already said that being owned by American family means that it doesn't matter. You don't have to play that game anymore. Is that right?
1: It is right. It also, I think, shifts who participates in our platform a little bit. So before, if there's lots of money sloshing around to insure techs, and we have something like a Bold Penguin Exchange where people can get connected to small businesses, and there's an insure tech that wants to get connected to small businesses, that insure tech previously had lots of money to throw at business prospects, right? getting connected to them. Whereas now it's not about revenue, it's about profitability for those insure techs. So they have less money to spend on those theoretically. So then who has the opportunity to get connected to those business prospects in a more cost effective nature? The agents, right? The brokers, the traditional agents and brokers. And so I've seen more participation and interest from them in the Bull Penguin Exchange as a result because they can now make the case that, okay, we can go compete for these business prospects and get connected to them. So I think that's super interesting. It's also why, frankly, this has been our largest year of insurance agent growth, as opposed to like insure tech growth previously. Insure techs are coming in to use the platform. So we're seeing a huge uptick in the number of agencies using the platform. And that's really exciting. So it's just shifting who's doing that work of getting the
0: quotes to the small business. Would you agree with the statement that a lot of that early exuberance, which was about disintermediation, Someone would get up at every conference and say, well, you know, Uber's the taxi company with no cars, Airbnb's the hotel company with no hotels, and we're going to figure out the way of getting the insurance carrier with no capital or whatever, whatever it was going to be, or with no agents. I mean, now that's totally off the table, isn't it? Do you think everyone has realized that no one is going to disintermediate an agent?
1: Definitely not yet. I think it's a discussion we should almost table for the next 10 years or so, because there's a lot of pieces that still have to be built this is going to sound very self-serving, but literally it's a thought that just struck me Is like Uber was a network, right? It connected drivers and people that needed rides through their software. Yep. That's Bold Penguin, right? We connect the agents and the small businesses that need insurance. And so I think that when you have these companies that have network effects and support the existing ecosystem, or even make it easier for more parties to participate in the ecosystem, that's where things get really interesting. And that's like Uber's of the world or the Bull Penguins of the world have really won out, at least in this initial phase.
0: I suppose, in in terms of technology being properly applied to insurance, we're in the infancy of, of what we're trying to do, and we're looking back at yep. 2015 as if it was decades ago, but it was only seven years ago.
1: One more comparison that just popped in my head. I don't know why this never came to me, but like, do you remember like when everyone was talking about driverless cars, you know, AI cars that yeah, would just absolutely. like remove the drivers, right? Drivers would be gone. Uber made a huge investment. It will be a thing eventually, again, in the next 10 to 20 years, but the AI, the tech's still not quite there yet to be having driverless cars. Same thing with disintermediating the agents. You can't just remove them if you don't have something better, and that better does not exist. Agents are still absolutely necessary. Certainly
0: something you wrote in a recent white paper that I saw that you circulated on social media, and which I'll make sure I put a link to at the end of this podcast. Part of that core task that that agent does better than any AI is identifying the risk and the coverages that that risk owner needs, needs to buy. Because all those subtleties involved in that roofer, whether that roof is on the roof of a factory and installing a solar panel on it, they make a huge difference, don't they? 100%. And you don't see that sometimes
1: unless you're out walking the job site with your customer, right? To figure out, all right, what do they do actually?
0: I remember insuring a helicopter, and of course, you need to know what they use it for. And of course, where I was insuring it, they were using it for putting out fires. And that's very different from just flying your CEO into the center of town from the airport. 100%. Good. So, but how far off do you think we are before the technology, the AI can work out these incredible subtleties in one type of risk versus another?
1: I think we're still five to 10 years, frankly, right? And I do think we've hit this really interesting tipping point with artificial intelligence generally and so i'd I'd suggest to anyone listening like go play with some of the tools that are out there like Dall edall dash e d-a-l-l-dash-e which you give it a text prompt and it creates a piece of art for you art i'm using that in quotes there's another one that came out from meta where you give it a text prompt and it actually creates a video so i just saw a video where someone had typed in a teddy bear painting a teddy bear And it was literally a video then of a cartoon teddy bear painting a cartoon teddy bear. Completely crazy stuff. You know, the question should be, well, what are you talking about this for? Like, how does this apply to insurance? Well, understanding insurance clauses and being able to say, hey, we need this kind of coverage and we need to avoid this exclusion because this is a solar manufacturer. But it's a solar manufacturer in Alaska where Alaskan solar panels are completely different than Arizona solar panels. All of that matters, right? And so until we can understand all of that with machine learning and AI, agents will still play a really big role. So that's why I say at least 10 years, because there's still a lot of learnings that have to happen.
0: And let's face it, probably even then, we'll probably just be the ones manipulating this technology and we'll still have that client relationship because it's the ultimate trust. 100%. Because it's always useful to have an agent when the claim comes.
1: We just keep getting more and more nuanced as humans in how we do our job. So that's great. We'll just get better and better at understanding risk,
0: theoretically. And I suppose the agents that add value using all these cool new tools, that be kind of bionically assisted agents are still going to be better than the ones that aren't.
1: That's exactly why you should get on these tools early and learn them early so that you can take advantage of them, especially when they kind of hit escape velocity.
0: Well, I'd like to ask you, you know, being an insurtech pioneer and all of that experience that you've had, What advice would you be giving to someone who's looking at InsurTech today and thinking, well, I want to make the plunge? What advice would you give to them? You know, what early mistakes could they avoid, for example?
1: I think, first of all, understanding the history of insurance is really, really important. And it's something I didn't understand at the time. But like insurance is like thousands of years old, right? It started like Mesopotamia or something like that. Started in the Lloyds of London, where people were literally trying to insure their boats and they did it in a coffee shop. And so when you say you're going to disrupt an industry like insurance, you better first understand the industry and figure out, am I actually changing the business model? Like Uber changed the business model of taxis, for instance, right? Are you actually changing the business model of insurance? Or are you just creating some sort of better mousetrap, essentially, which is basically what InsurTech Wave 1.0 was, was better mousetraps. And so I think that Use the word disruption very, very lightly and probably don't use it if you're in the insure tech space, particularly because people, I think, have a little bit of a insure tech disruption fatigue at this point. Yep. And instead, just focus on the problem you're going to solve. Right? Just focus. I think that's the thing that people missed out on a lot is like, what problem are you solving? What's the solution? Who are the users? There's just a lot of skipping of those steps early on because people just were so excited to be attacking an industry that seemed completely old and slow. So I guess that's my big advice is like, slow down, don't get ahead of yourself, understand insurance is really old and figure out where you fit in the ecosystem.
0: This is more about removing the friction for those people who are already in insurance rather than trying to do it all yourself. Yeah, hundred percent. Unless you happen
1: to be that rare actual unicorn, not the unicorns that we've seen, but the rare unicorn that does figure out a better way to do insurance. If you're that, go crazy. But I still haven't seen that yet.
0: Yeah. And then how far away are we from a really fully digital insurance marketplace that would go right the way through to capital markets, to reinsurance to retro, to everything?
1: I still think we're at least 10 years, right? And I think one of the biggest things that has to get solved in the future is payments, which is why I think Ethereum and Bitcoin and all that stuff is kind of interesting because it's more frictionless if we can figure out how to manage the security. So that's like the next big thing to tackle is payments within insurance.
0: Yep, certainly very large carriers just reconciling different amounts with different players. Oh and then once they become multinational, it becomes even more complicated. As one can imagine, there's a huge amount of inefficiency there. There's certainly there was some good technology and fintech businesses actually looking to help ease the pain around there. And I'm sure they'd be worth following. I must get some of them on the show. But otherwise, Chris, what do you think's next coming down the track? What are you going to be attacking next?
1: I just think the implementation of our data science solutions, our analytics solutions like Submission Link, I think is one that's been very, very popular this year with carriers and brokers and agents because it's removing the friction. So anything that removes the friction, so new products, new tools that remove the friction. So I think Pathpoint will continue to expand in the bulk payment platform. More cyber insurance will be taken up going forward because people are realizing that that's a big issue, even for small businesses. And then I think that the agencies and the brokers out there are going to get better and better at explaining insurance to people like online instead of with people. And so as a result, you'll have more and more quoting that originates on websites, on platforms instead of with
0: people. That's great. Well, it sounds like you've got a lot to get your teeth into and you're in the Uh, biggest insurance market in the world. So it sounds like you've got a lot of growth ahead of you. And I hope you'll come back at some point in the future and tell us how you've been getting on and the next set of things that you've learned in that intervening time. Absolutely, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really, really enjoyed having you on. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank
1: you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, Don't forget to subscribe or leave a like or a review or recommendation on whatever podcast platform you used to access this programme. These really help get the word out. Before we go, just a quick reminder that advertising slots are available here and in other places in the Voice of Insurance podcasts. Podcasting is the fastest growing medium and attracts a high quality audience of key decision makers. It's also an intimate medium where you, the listener, are right in the room with me and the interview subjects. Needless to say, that means it's a great way of getting your message out directly to an audience because you know you've got their full attention. It's also very cost-effective. So get in touch with Mark at thevoiceofinsurance.com to find out how you could be speaking directly to the industry. The Voice of Insurance is produced in association with Advantage Go. Release your underwriters to underwrite with Advantage Go's underwriting platform.